0: Again, good morning. It is truly wonderful to be back after a very good, much-needed holiday with my family in my wife's beautiful home country. I have to tell you, though, it was a lot cooler over in Ireland than it has been for all of you here in Florida. Audrey and I and Aoife are doing our very best right now to try and re-acclimatize in the scorching and humid temperatures of the Ides of July here in northeast Florida. What's funny is that when we were just about to fly out of Dublin a couple of days ago, Ireland had just entered into what it was proclaiming a summer heat wave, with temperatures soaring all the way up into the mid-70s. All I can say is I hope the Irish don't come over to Florida in mid-July or they may melt completely. Even with the much cooler temperatures, though, we had a great visit with all of Audrey's family and friends over these last few weeks, with the exception of one uninvited guest who showed up, COVID. We made it through our first two weeks of vacation knowing that COVID was spreading all around us, but it was not until Audrey's brother Peter showed up from Boston before we actually had our first encounter. Peter had brought with him his wonderful wife, Claire, and his two daughters, Ellen and Lauren, and apparently he had one nasty stowaway named Omicron as well. Peter was the first to test positive for COVID amongst the family, two days after arriving, and unfortunately for us, Audrey and I quickly followed suit the very next morning. Luckily for everyone except me, The run-in with the Omicron variant of COVID was pretty mild. I, on the other hand, got a nasty COVID-induced sinus infection that ended up carrying on for just about five full days. It was last Saturday when the congestion, the cough, and the back pains I'd been suffering with finally broke, and I was able to get back to enjoying my last few days uh, in Ireland. Still, I have to say, if you ever have to go into isolation for five to seven days, the southwest coast of Ireland ain't a bad place to be stuck in. As frustrating as it was for us, I was very thankful the entire time to be with my family and to be in what is arguably one of the most beautiful places on earth for the full duration of the isolation. In so many ways, it felt a little bit like God's mercy as Audrey and I pushed through our very first ever run-in with this pestilence in the last two and a half years. And I was thankful for all the mercy I could get. Last week when COVID was finally behind us and we were spending our last few days in the city of Dublin before flying home, I found myself breathing fresh air as I stood in a wonderful exhibition for one of Ireland's greatest poets, at the National Library of Ireland. Seamus Heaney, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature back in 1995 and was recognized throughout his career as a world-renowned poet, literary scholar, and classicist, was born and grew up in the rural farming lands of County Derry in Northern Ireland. As a boy, Heaney worked alongside his father and grandfather as they dug up fresh peat from the earth to burn in the family's fireplace and cooking stoves. And when he was older, after studying in Belfast and publishing his first renowned book of poetry, he watched his home country of Northern Ireland move through the terrible violence and division of what has become known as the Troubles. And all of it, his entire life and experiences, Seamus Heaney turned into words and poetry, which became the very air and breath of the Irish people over the last century. Seamus Heaney died in 2013, and as Ireland approaches the 10th anniversary of his passing, the exhibit that I was able to attend in Dublin was being given in honor of his continued impact to the country and world and his tremendous life's work. I was so thrilled to be there in person last week because many years before I met my wife or ever imagined Ireland would become a second home to me, I had become a lover of the poetry of Seamus Heaney. I still remember the class I took in college many years ago when I read for the first time Heaney's poem, Digging, from his first book, The Death of a Naturalist. In just a short, concise collection of words written in poetic verse, Heaney reveals his own history as a poet of the Irish landscape and people, all while providing a common identity for all of us who might have grew up amidst a strong rural work ethic and yet found ourselves applying it in our lives in very different ways. Heaney writes in that great poem, Digging, Between my finger and my thumb, the squat pin rests snug as a gun. Under my window, a clean rasping sound when the spade sinks into gravelly ground, my father digging. I look down till his straining rump among the flower beds bends low, comes up 20 years away, stooping in rhythm through the potato drills where he was digging. By God, the old man could handle a spade just like his old man the cold smell of potato mold the squelch and slap of soggy peat the curt cuts of an edge through living roots awaken in my head but i've no spade to follow men like them between my finger and my thumb the squat pin rests i'll dig with it but to me the way the great poets like sheamus heaney can capture common words and language and transfer them into verse and rhyme, which speaks and sings to the human heart and soul, is truly one of the most amazing and inspiring contributions to our humanity. I've always felt that like great music, great poetry as well, the sonnets of Shakespeare and Dunn, the verse of Keats, Shelley, Dickinson, T.S. Eliot, Mary Oliver, and Maya Angelou, the songs of Woody Guthrie, Bob Dylan, and so many more are one more of the unquestionable proofs to me that there is a God who exists and God can speak openly to us in our own language through the pens of our poets and our writers. And I have to tell you, if you read the words and the verses of the Holy Scripture, especially those found in that Amazing story of Jesus in the Gospels, they themselves are written down to the, our hearts in the very same kind of poetic way. And of all the Gospel verses, it is perhaps the parables of Jesus, the great stories Jesus puts together in soul impactful verse that reveal to the world that Jesus himself, like a Shakespeare, a Pablo Neruda, or a Seamus Heaney, was and is creation's greatest poet. Jesus's message of God connects to the very heart and souls of God's people in words that are as beautiful and well-crafted as they are true. And like good poetry, what the words reveal never grows old nor loses its message to those with ears to hear and hearts to receive it. This morning, we get to experience that poetry again, in one of Jesus' greatest, most beloved parables, the parable of the Good Samaritan. As is often the case with this parable and with the parable of the prodigal son and with all the most well-known parables of Jesus, we've heard them so many times before, it's easy to miss the unique beauty of each of the sentences' construction, as well as the deeper meaning that goes beyond just the morals of the story. For we as disciples of Jesus must never ever forget that each of these parables aren't just teaching messages about something we need to do as Christians. They are also revelations to us of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done and is doing, and what incredible redemption, mercy, and love Jesus offers up to all of the world. Great works of poetry Should cause goosebumps to rise up on the back of your neck and arms or a lump to suddenly form in your throat. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to tell you the parables of Jesus should always do that very same thing because the words they contain are the revealing of God's greatest gift, our most important promise, and our unending hope in what is certainly a tattered and darkening world. Jesus begins this morning. With these words, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Certainly, we already know this is a story of a man on a trip moving down from the high country of Jerusalem to the low desert wilderness of Jericho near the Jordan River, which leads to the Dead Sea. But these well-constructed words of Jesus are reciting something differently as well. They're meant to pull us in deeper as we dig down into them. For the words can and do also identify us, you and me, as humanity created in the image of God as an equal traveler ever being drawn in this life from the height of God's great creation downward toward the low country of sin and corruption. It is this temptation to fall into sin that we ourselves, like the man in the parable, find ourselves in the midst of, with our own souls being robbed and beaten and left to take on what we know is the wages of sin, which is death. And after this, The man left on the side of the road crying out for help, we are told in the parable, is suddenly passed by by two individuals, two human beings who at the time of Jesus were looked upon as the best of the best in society and culture, a priest and a Levite. But again, diving down deeper into these poetic words of Jesus... We can begin to understand that even the best of the best, this story tells us, those we look up to and depend upon for right action and moral deeds, they too are just like you and me. And they too are fallen humanity who can find themselves walking down the road to the low country of sin and destruction. These two stalwarts of the community, Jesus is revealing, are fallen themselves. And so, of course, they pass by the man who is crying out on the side of the road. And after this, Jesus arrives at the Good Samaritan. Now, all of us who have heard any priest or Sunday school teacher talk about this parable already know, as I told the children this morning, how the Samaritans were looked down upon by those in the Jewish religious establishment. They were Jews who themselves had married the invaders in a distant past. They had become traitors and heretics. They were not the right kind of people, and they were best to be avoided at all costs. The most religious of the Jewish community would not even walk down the road that led through the land of Samaria on their long journey home. That's how bad Samaritans were viewed. And so it makes Jesus identifying the Samaritan as the hero of this parable incredibly shocking to anyone who have heard it in Israel. But once again, Jesus isn't just talking about Samaritans 2,000 years ago. Jesus, in this part of the story, is going deeper, addressing not just one man on a road leading downward, but our entire fallen, injured, dying humanity. Here, Jesus is reaching out to actually identify himself as that Samaritan, the one who most in the world at that time were turning their eyes away from in disgust, and yet he is the one who is there to heal and to save us. For it is Jesus we cannot forget who comes to show us mercy, to pick us up, to bandage our spiritual injuries and to pour healing oil and wine into our wounds. Certainly sacramental images meant to show us holy oil used to anoint the sick today and the wine we all turn to at the altar to restore the health of our souls and for holy communion with God. And it is Jesus who carries us to the open doors of the good end, the very image of the church where we are given shelter for spiritual recovery. And brothers and sisters, we can never miss that it is Jesus who pays the two silver coins for our salvation with his death on the cross and promises always to return and pay in full for our final redemption. Yes, the parable of the good Samaritan should absolutely challenge us To remember that everyone we encounter is created in the image of God and is therefore our neighbor. And that we should be ready to reach out and help anyone in need regardless of where they come from. But the deeper meaning of this poetic parable should also draw our minds and hearts to who our good Samaritan always will be who sees us fallen and corrupted when we fall and is always there to reach out to us as friend and neighbor, who loves each and every one of us as much as he loves his own divine self. For Jesus, brothers and sisters, is our healer. And when words move beneath their surface meaning and touch our hearts and souls and transform us, then they are the greatest example of poetry and verse in the spiritual world as well as the physical. I love Seamus Heaney and the poets for what their words say about me, just as much as what their verses identify about themselves and the stories they tell. Jesus as a poet is always not just telling a story, but reaching out to draw us to himself as the merciful father longing for us, his prodigal children to return as the friend answering our constant knocking on the door at the darkest point of the night, and as the good Samaritan, someone we might be thinking isn't worth our time anymore, who isn't from the right part of the street or town, or who isn't of the right political persuasion, but who is the only one who is ever going to pick us up, bandage our wounds, pay our debts, and show us the mercy we long for. This is the poetry of the spirit and the heart, and it speaks truth in ways that cause us to dig deeper. May we follow Jesus deeper, be moved by his words, and in our journey, feel him lifting us up and saving us. Amen.